well, hello and good morning. Uh, so happy to be with you online this morning. And you know, if you've been following along with us in our summer series, uh, Invited to a New Way of Living, this is where we've been studying the book of Colossians. And we're actually at our concluding message. This is our last message for this series. This is part number 11. And today we're going to look at how Paul closes his letter to the church in Colossae. And we're going to see that um, there's a lot in there for us. Uh, first, let's go over for one more time our passage to ponder. And it's from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, where it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, Then set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just this beautiful picture of how a life in Christ transforms us, not now, the way we think and act, but also in the future. So we're at the end of Paul's inspired letter. And this letter, it discovered, it discusses the, the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus. Um, it, dis, it discusses this new life that we have in Christ and the freedom that we have from the rules of people. And as, uh, as Jesus says, you know, his burden is light, his yoke is easy. That's how Jesus describes following him. And Paul, he gives instructions on how uh, Christians are to live as a Christian household that functions well. And he concludes this letter to the church at Colossae with some greetings and these final thoughts. And if we're not careful, we could actually just go past them. Uh, there are a number of names here, some biblical references. And, you know, if we were just to kind of gloss over it, we might not glean some of the things that God is saying uh, to us and through it. And so, namely, the thing that I believe the Lord is saying to us today is that we're all invited to make a contribution. And you might ask, why us? And what type of contribution? If you're a Christ follower, then you're a member of the church. And the church is this living organism. Uh, it is a special body, as it were. It's always, it's figured, um, it, it's, it's mentioned that way as if it were a body, but it's a living organism. And you might think, you know, I'm just an average person, I'm living a normal life, I'm trying to pay my bills and maybe raise children and find out what is the best things to do with, with my life. And you might find yourself thinking, I don't know if I'm actually the person to make this contribution to a church. But what we find out is that if you don't make a contribution, um, your whole the whole body, the body of the church, it all suffers. Uh, you know, right now I'm actually dealing with some knee issues. I've had some damage to my left knee. And you realize when you do have one part of your body that is uh, injured or hurt, um, you come to realize that it really does affect your whole body and the way that you move. And it's like that with the church. And what we find is that um, to glorify God or getting involved actually helps us to glorify God. And Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God actually made you to do great work. He's prepared it in advance. And he says, uh, in Ephesians, Paul, this inspired words of Paul are saying that you're God's um, craftsmanship, is God's masterpiece, and he's made good things for you to do, and he wants you to contribute and to glorify him in that way. 
So this is this really amazing thing where we just get this picture of how we're supposed to use our circumstances, our natural talents, our spiritual gifts. They might not be the same thing they may be, and all our opportunities to kind of contribute. So let's read the conclusion of Colossians, and then we're going to break it out, and I have some thoughts for us, okay? So let's read from Colossians 4, uh, verses 7 through 18. So um, in verse 7, Paul begins this way, Tychius will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I send him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychius will tell you everything that's happening here. We're going to find out what here is, or where where here is, actually. Um, Aristocharis uh, Aristocharis, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, not the Christ, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been, Paul says. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you, make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hyperpolis. Hi, uh, Hierapolis, sorry. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And here's how the last few verses conclude. After you read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it. Read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote them. And say to Acrippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Okay, this is a, uh, a large uh, passage here of Scripture in Colossians chapter 4. And we're hearing all these various names here. And we want to find out, um, what we come to find out is that Paul is mentioning these names. He's writing this church, writing, remember, to the church at Colossae. And um, we find out he mentions all these various biblical characters, these persons who were there alongside him, who he knew. And he's referencing these people to the church at Colossae. And there are things that we can take from this. As we said before, we realize that part of glorifying God involved, um, means we have to get involved. We have to make a contribution. And we see that through the message here. So let's just look at different parts of this. We'll break it down. And first, we're going to look at Tychius and Onesimus. These two are beloved brothers and they're faithful workers. In verse 7, Paul says it. We'll read it over again. He says, Tychius will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychius will tell you everything that's happening here. Okay, first person we come to see, Tychius. Tychius the encourager. Tychius is referred to as a beloved brother, a faithful worker in the Lord, as is Onesimus. Antiochus is this person. He's the encourager. He's the one who builds up and strengthens others. Tychius has the gift of encouragement or the spiritual gift of exhortation. And if you know anything about spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are this um, 
divine ability to do things well for God's glory. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts as he knows um, he needs to build up the church of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is out here endowing us with these gifts that work um, to build up the church, strengthen the church, to bring glory to Christ, and to spread the message of Jesus across the globe. And so Tychius, I would say he's a person. And, and for, those, for those of you who, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, you can go to spiritualgifttest.com. You can also email Pastor Pia because we're going to have um, different spiritual gift classes for you to learn. But going back to Tychius, he's an encourager. He's the one that builds up and strengthens others, right? He can actually uplift and he can motivate. It's, it's this, this supernatural ability to strengthen other people. And really, if you're the person who can make someone feel better when you're down, you might have the gift of encouragement. Uh, you know, for we all know if when we're feeling, you know, really challenged, if we have someone to come alongside us and strengthen us, that's really um, such a blessing to have. These persons, they can even kind of challenge you and they can challenge you in a good way because their challenge it can actually um, foster spiritual growth and action. It can actually spur us on to do something that's really good. And then we have Onesimus here. Onesimus, this is a man who is contributing to the work of the church um, despite overwhelming circumstances. Onesimus is, he's a, he's a, well, a formerly enslaved person. He might still have that label as a slave and he's run away from his owner. And we find out more about Onesimus's life in Paul's letter called Philemon, this letter they wrote to Philemon. There's, there's more, there's a, a, a large backstory there, but we get a little more insight into Onesimus's life um, in the letter to Philemon. But back to Onesimus, he's been enslaved and he has run away. And we don't know how he got in that position. Um, we don't know um, if he was born into it, if he was captured, what the circumstances were, uh, but he finds himself in this position and he also in this letter that Paul is writing right now, he finds himself that he has run away. And we see here that in the letter to Philemon and in this conclusion of the, of the letter to the Colossian church, Paul calls Onesimus a brother. And this is in vast contrast to the culture of the day. The Christians at that time, they realized that neither slave nor free, man or woman, uh, black, white, Jew or Gentile, or any racial distinction, any ethnic distinction, none of those things, or I should say all those things are irrelevant to God and Jesus Christ. And they, the Christians of that day, they realized that those things are not important, that God sees us as equally important, loved, and in need of saving. Uh, we might not be the same, but we're equally loved um, the same by God. And that's why Paul is able to call Onesimus a brother. And we find out that he's a brother. So that eliminates in any Christian context the, the, um, the concept of, of slavery. You cannot be um, uh, enslaved as a person who's a Christian in a Christian context because we're equal and we're valued by God. And we see that Onesimus is faithful, he's loved, he's a member of the church at Colossae, and he's dependable to relay the message that Paul is writing. Paul knows that he can trust Onesimus to relay that message because he's a dependable, fervent worker. Despite all these conditions that Onesimus is facing, he's on the run, but he is serving faithfully. I think of my mother-in-law. Um, Maria, my wife, her mom, uh, she passed away in, in 2009. 
But as she was bedridden with cancer, she was still on the phone encouraging people. She was calling. She was um, um, being a blessing and encouraging others despite her overwhelming life circumstances at that time. That This is a hard message for us sometimes to hear because many of you are going through something really very hard. You could be going through illness and all kinds of relational turmoil, all sorts of things. But even in those circumstances, I believe that we can contribute wholeheartedly and we can contribute in a way that brings God glory. My mother-in-law did that. She left this amazing lineage for my family to, to witness and just this beautiful witness of how good God is, even in the midst of really challenging things. That was uh, Maria's mom, Marion, and that is one Smith here as well. So another person that we're going to move on to, um, uh, Aristocarchus, Aristocarchus. Aristocarchus, <laughs> tough names here, some of these ones. And Aristocarchus, he's the one who is, he's sharing Paul's burden. This is another way that you can contribute, and we see it here. Um, Aristocarchus, who is in prison with me, he sends you his greetings, Paul says in, in um, Colossians 4, verse 10. And then he mentions these other persons, which we'll touch on. So does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you instructed before, make Mark welcome before he comes your way. But Aristocarchus, who's in prison with me, sends you his greetings. This is a man who is sharing Paul's burden. In um, a few verses before our, our passage for today, in verse 3 of chapter 4, we actually come to find that Paul has been writing this letter while he's in prison. And, you know, in verse 3, he says, Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in change. Paul has been in prison numerous times. And he's been in prison numerous times in the book of Acts. That's chronicled. Um, and we have other pictures throughout the, the New Testament of him being in prison. So we're not actually sure when this one happened and where he's imprisoned. But we do find that he's writing this letter from prison. Some scholars believe it could be Rome or Ephesus. That's, that's a possible source of where he's writing this letter. But, you know, Aristoc Aristocarchus, he is this person who is just down for the cause. He's in the trenches, as it were, with Paul. He's the type of person that says, Paul, if you're going to go to prison for sharing the message of Jesus Christ, I'm going to go to prison alongside you. This is the person that is just there to support you. This is the person who, um, as it says in Galatians 6, 2, share each other's burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ, right? This is a burden lifter. This is a person who comes alongside you in weak moments and challenging moments to help you through it. You can think of this as the person who can um, come and sit alongside someone who has lost a loved one. You know how important that is? Uh, when my dad passed away, I had a good friend, uh, I had a good friend, and his name was Julian. And he, when he found out, he came and he just sat with me. And that point, we didn't say much. We didn't, um, you know, he gave me a hug and we kind of sat there because in that moment of shock, when you lose a loved one, it was just important to have him there by my side. That is how Aristocarchus is. He came alongside to share the burden of Paul. He was there, he believed in the gospel message, and he said he's, he'll go to jail alongside Paul to support him in this important journey. So that's a way that you can contribute. Come along and share someone's burdens. You know, be there for someone who's lost a loved one. Be there to help someone along their ministry journey. That is just an excellent way to serve. And um, in that same verse, um, Paul mentions this person by the name of Mark, who he calls Barnab Barnabas' cousin. Um, Mark, 
seems to be lesser known than Barnabas because that's how he's kind of addressed. But he says, welcome Mark when he comes your way. And Mark, we're going to find out who he is. He, he's really the, what I'm calling the reinstated contributor. Mark, as most um, scholars believe, he's actually the writer of the Gospel of Mark, which is actually the very first gospel that we have. It, it's, um, it's second in the New Testament, but it's actually, um, um, in terms of when it happened, it was actually the first gospel written. And Mark, we're calling him the reinstated contributor because Mark and Paul had a falling out and it was quite um, severe, actually. And we, we come to read here in Acts chapter 15. Um, this is what uh, the gospel writer Luke uh, talks about in this situation that he viewed be- between Mark and Paul and Barnabas. So in verse 36, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Mark's also called John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Okay, so what happened? We actually find out um, earlier in Acts 13 that, um, you know, Paul and all his missionary friends there, they are, they're leaving for Paphos by ship and, and or they left Paphos to Pamphylia and they get there in this port town. And then it says that um, John Mark actually left them and he returned to Jerusalem. So he went to the trip, he made it to the destination, but then decided for some reason to go back to Jerusalem. And it just leaves it at that. We don't know what happened, but there was some sort of argument. Uh, most people believe uh, John Mark was a younger person here. There's all kinds of theories on, you know, maybe falling out. But whatever happened, it was very stark enough that later on it caused a riff, um, not only between Paul and John Mark, but also between Paul and Barnabas. Here's a, here's the situation. We don't know whose fault it was. Maybe it was more Mark's fault. Maybe it was more Paul's fault. We don't really know. But the point is, is that you can still make meaningful contributions, even if you've had a turmoil with other Christians. You can still work with people that you once disagreed with. And, you know, John Mark, as, as I mentioned before, he's, he's uh, thought to be the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Imagine if his falling out with Paul had caused, had caused him to even question his contribution. Imagine if he said, you know what, I did make some mistakes or the way Paul offended me, I just, I don't want to have anything to do with those people. I don't have anything to do with the church of Jesus. I, I just don't want anything. Imagine if he had done that. We would be missing out on the very first gospel and such an important document, which uh, the other gospel writers actually take and use as some, as some information. So we come to see in the book of 2 Timothy later on, it says um, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Only Luke is with me. This is Paul speaking. He says, Only Luke is with me. But he says, Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Whatever happens at the, during this time in the writing letter to Colossae and afterwards, this is after the falling out that they had, they actually have their relationship restored. This is a beautiful picture. They had a deep disagreement. It caused this fracture in their relationship. It could have affected the advancement of the gospel, but at some point they reconcile. And we find out that relationships can be restored when we're on mission together. That's such a great message. So for you thinking of 
um, contributing. If you've had a bad experience, honestly, welcome to the club. We all have because we are people and we sometimes rub each other the wrong way. And if it's um, whatever mistake that we have in that, we should own up to it, apologize, try to make amends. But the important point in this passage is that you can actually have a fractured relationship, but it can be restored when we're on mission together. You can work alongside people who you formerly had disagreements with. And I find that really encouraging today. We're going to look at another person, uh, Epaphras. Epaphras is the prayer warrior. In verses 12 to 13 of Colossians chapter 4, it says this, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship. So Epaphras is a member of the church at Colossae. And a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hyrule. Uh, Hierapolis, Hierapolis. So Epaphras, he is, um, he's a prayer warrior, as we said. His prayer is an expression of his love for the people in his church in Colossae. And Pastor Dave touched on that last week in uh, part 10, um, invited to be, uh, be, be prayerful people. And so Epaphras' prayer here is beautiful. He actually says, um, he wants you to be strong and perfect, fully confident you are following the whole will of God. What a beautiful prayer that is. For you who are sitting there, there's going to be someone, you right on the other side here, I'm talking to you. You can be a prayer warrior. You can be the person who is known for praying for their church. Um, you can make, your prayers can help your church to be a strong, faithful witness to God, that your church will be known as a people that love each other and love God deeply. Um, pray that your church will be a disciple-making community. You can pray for your leaders, pray for um, your workplaces, pray for your schools and your communities. In doing all of this, um, prayer, it says it can, it can bring healing. And in, in James chapter 5, it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And the righteous person is just the person who's in right relationship with Jesus, the forgiven person who's accepted Jesus' gift. And prayer, it can bring healing to people, to situations, and to nations. So your contribution can actually take place within your prayer room in your house. Um, there's ways that you can contribute that you can pray from any place. And so that's a beautiful thing. That might be a good way for you to contribute. We're getting to the end here of our final couple of persons. But we also look here at Luke and Nympha. And... Um, Luke and Nympha. I'm calling Luke the trained professional and Nympha the small group leader. In verses 14 to 15 of Colossians 4, it says this, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demos. Please give my greetings to her brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too, and you should read the letter I wrote to them. That's interesting because... Paul has this inspired letter to the Colossians, um, and he also wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea, but unfortunately that letter's been lost, so we don't know what it says, but I would love to know what it says. But in the earlier parts of, of that verse, in verses 14 to 15, he mentions Luke and, um, and Nympha. And Luke, this person, as you said, he's the trained professional. He's the, he, we believe he's the gospel writer, um, the gospel writer of Luke. He's the person who uh, wrote both Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts, which just chronicles the early church. Um, 
I'm going to show you this verse here from Luke chapter 1. This is what it says. This is how Luke begins his gospel. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. Many people have been writing about the things of Jesus. He says, among us. But just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the world. So the people who were um, right there, um, eyewitnesses and servants of the word Jesus, they, um, Luke has been uh, interviewing these persons and chronicling them. And he says, there have been so many of them. But he said, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, the words carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. He, he addresses it to most excellent Theophilus. And he says he does this for Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Look at that, that passage there. Luke says, hey, so many people have decided to write about the things of Jesus. I've also decided to do that. I've talked to the first eyewitnesses and the servants who were there with Jesus. And he says, I have carefully investigated everything from the very beginning of Jesus' story. And then he says, I decided to write an orderly account of all the things so that the reader may have certainty in the things that they have been taught. This is a person who's meticulous and detailed. He has medical training. He's known as a doctor. And doctors might have been, you know, different than how we know doctors now. But it presents this person who has this training that's made him meticulous, detailed, observant, a person who is scientific and objective, a person who wants to get down to the root of the issue. And that's why he's interviewing people and carefully and finding an orderly account. This is Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He uses his skillful training to contribute to the mission of Jesus. So what kind of training and experience do you have that can bless your church? You know, are you an accountant? Are you an electrician? Are you a lawyer? Are you a builder? Are you a homemaker? All of these things, these experiences, these um, ways of, of living, and these, um, these ways that you have been taught, you can use that to actually... Um, contribute to your church. And that's a beautiful picture how Luke uses his training. He's the one that's alongside Paul taking all these notes. And so that's a great way for us to do it. Um, another person right here, Nympha. Uh, Nympha, she um, uses her gift of hospitality to gather God's people. Nympha is a small group leader. It says that Nympha has the church that meets in her house. Uh, that's what it says in verse 15. What a way to be known. Nympha here is not described as, um, she's not described or known as a missionary, an evangelist, or a teacher. All she is is described as this person who has the gift of hospitality. And the gift of hospitality, going back to spiritual gifts, is just this divine strength or ability to create a warm, welcoming environment for others. If you are warm and welcoming, you have everything you need to be a small group leader. Uh, just being like that, using your gift of hospitality. Can you make people feel welcome in your home, in your church, at a coffee shop? Can you make people feel welcome? If you have that, then you're like Nympha and you can be a leader. You can actually enable God's people to gather just through your um, gift that you have of hospitality that's been given to you to build up and strengthen your church. That's a key aspect of being a small group leader. So, if you have an interest, actually, in, um, in anything, like a, a nice, really good interest that other people can be involved with and it really resonates with you, you can talk to me. I'd love for you to reach out because we might be able to uh, create a, a pair, a triad, a quad, or just a small group of people who have interest in book club and biking and hiking or, um, 
you know, archery or whatever it may be, an interest that you have, you can come and create that idea because you being the person who is like Nympha can be welcoming and just welcome people into the community of Jesus followers. And, you know, we're coming to the conclusion of Paul's letter now. And we see all these different persons who are contributing in, in all these ways. And they're using their spiritual gifts. They're using their circumstances. Some are pleasant, some are not. Um, they are using just their, their training. Uh, they are using even um, some negative experiences like Mark who had a falling out but still continues to work alongside for the mission. And we see all these people, but now we come to the very end of Paul's letter. And we get a challenge to uh, a person called uh, Acrippus, but he also challenges each of us. Verses 16 through 18 says this, after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. Again, we lost that letter. And say to Acrippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. And finally, in verse 18, he says, here's my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, in many of his letters, he says he writes really big. He says, here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Okay. The first thing we get from that section of scripture is that Paul's telling us that we should spread the message. Um, he does say to the church of Colossae, after you read this inspired word of, from God, um, after you read this letter, pass it on to the other church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And then he says, the letter that I wrote to them, have them pass it to you so that you can read it. It's important to spread the message and it's easier than you may think. Um, you have the ability to, we have the ability now to share things on social media. We have the ability to um, send people to spread the message, but it's just essential um, that we do it. It, it it's, reminds me of John uh, chapter one, where there's a man, um, the disciple named Philip, and he has a friend named Nathaniel. And he just says uh, to, he says to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one that Moses has been writing about in the Older Testament scriptures. We have found the one. He is Jesus. He is here. He is the Messiah. And we found him. And Nathaniel doesn't believe him, right? Nathaniel's thinking, no, that's crazy. You know, you're saying Jesus from Nazareth, and I just don't believe any of that. And what does Philip, the disciple, say? He just says to Nathaniel, come and see. Simple. Three words. Come and see. I love that because Philip is the one who just invites them. You can, your contribution can be inviting a friend to church. Your contribution can be sharing a message online, like this message or other messages that we have. Your contribution can inviting a friend to a social gathering with other believers. You can share the message through just a conversation with someone, and you can share the message of Jesus. All you have to do is tell them, come and see, and that's a huge contribution. And then finally, we get this um this message from Paul where he says to Acrippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. What is Acrippus's ministry? I don't have any idea. It doesn't say. But the thing is, is that's a challenge to Acrippus and it's a challenge to each of us. What is your ministry? Where can you contribute? Where can you use your gifts, your training, your experiences, good, bad, and otherwise, to contribute to building up the church of Jesus? It says that Jesus completed all the work his father had for him to do. And he says he brought glory to the father by completing all that work. That is a message that I um, 
that I pray for myself and I pray it for you. I want to bring God glory by completing all the work that he'd have us do. There's so many things that we can get busy and caught up with, but we have to um, realize that God in his divine sovereignty and goodwill, he wants us to be together in this moment with these opportunities, all the challenges in the world, and he still wants us to complete the work. And my work that I have might look different from yours, but we're each needed so that the mission of Jesus can flourish. Uh, we're actually called to be co-workers of God in his great redemptive plan for all creation, of bringing all creation back to himself and peace and harmony with each other. So let me just pray for you quickly, and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, dear God, that... Um, in this beautiful letter, we have just learned all these different ways that we're invited to this new way of living. We're not forced into it, dear God. You, you invite us into it. But it's this beautiful way of life that even has challenges, Lord, but it's the best way that we can live is learning to follow you and doing it uh, more and more. So, dear God, we just pray that today, for each person who's listened to this, I just pray that they feel compelled they feel impressed upon, Lord, to either continue in a ministry, Lord, to find a, min a ministry, start something new. I feel that they feel encouraged that your their experiences, their circumstances, Lord, the gifts that you've given them, that they can use it to build up their church. Because, dear God, without each other, one part of the body suffers, and then, of course, the whole body suffers, Lord. So we want each um, member, each part of the body to be strong, we want to bless one another, dear God. So for the persons listening, help them to know that you're with them and that they can step forward boldly trusting you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.